Some say the gods are immortal, that their adventures span time and space, and Earth has ever been the battleground for their strangest sagas. This is one such saga. Cross the rainbow bridge of Asgard, where the blooming heavens roar. You'll behold in breathless wonder, the god of thunder, I am Miles Stokes. And I am Elizabeth Alley. And this is The Lightning and the Storm. Behold, episode zero of our 12-part love letter to Walter Simonson's epic 1980s run of The Mighty Thor. And behold, a very special episode just for you, the people who helped us actually make this thing because you supported us on Indiegogo. Thank you. You're awesome. We love you a lot. Thank you, and also thank you for taking the time to listen to us figure out how to do a Thor podcast together. Yes, what you hear in this episode may or may not be even remotely representative of the actual show itself. I mean, we hope it works, but if it's a goddamn train wreck, then we apologize and thank you even more. Okay, I have one very important question. Okay, what's that? Who is the lightning and who is the storm? Am I the lightning or am am I the storm? Oh, man. See, that's the thing. I mean, the lightning is like a component of the storm, and so that part always seemed kind of weird to me. That's true. But at the same time, I mean, they're always paired when you talk about them in Thor. And, you know, I like to cook, so I feel like lightning, the fire, and all that. But at the same time, storms are pretty awesome, too. And, you know, my other life as a podcaster is doing Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men, and that's got Aurora Monroe as Storm, who I love a lot. So I certainly wouldn't complain about being the Storm. Well, maybe for now we can just alternate. Okay, so this time you're the lightning, (laughs) I'm the Storm. We'll we'll swap it next time. Perfect. Perfect. That's one of those things we'll have figured out by the uh, actual first episode. Yes, exactly. Um, Anyway, we should probably talk about, you know, who we are and what we're doing and all that stuff. Absolutely. Uh, Again, my name is Elizabeth Alley. I have been an occasional guest host for Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men. I'm thrilled to be here that Miles invited me to be part of this podcast. Uh, I have an extensive geek history. I worked at Dark Horse Comics and at Things from Another World, and I'm currently working with Geekcraft Expo, which is kind of a Comic-Con meets Etsy line of uh, handmade geeky craft conventions across the country. Yeah, and uh, I'm Miles Stokes. Um, I've been doing Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men for a few years now, and uh, Thor is my other great comic book love, so I'm super psyched to be here talking about my favorite run of it ever. Um, Also work at Dark Horse. I've been there for far too long. Basically, both of us surround ourselves with as much geekery as possible. Uh, It's perhaps a little excessive, but so far so good. We haven't died of overdose yet. Yes, I have to say that Miles was my very favorite IT person when I was working (laughs) at Things from Another World, which is Dark Horse's sister company, so much that I would totally abuse the RT system and contact Miles directly because if I had any problems with my computer, it was way more fun because Miles and I could talk comics. (laughs) Yeah, like the amount of conversations we've had about like 80s Excalibur and stuff like that. Mm -hmm, Oh mm -hmm. man, it was great. Um, So yeah, that's us. And this show is Thor the Lightning and the Storm. Um, if you're familiar with Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men, it's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be less continuity-based because Walter Simonson's run that we're going to be talking about stands alone really, really well. And, you know, we'll throw in occasional bits of, hey, you may remember this character from. But for the most part, we're just going to go through the issues one at a time and talk about why we love them and what's awesome and what seems very much like it was in the 1980s because there's some of that as well. (laughs) And this is a very special episode because we are cutting our teeth on actually the two fill-in uh, issues because even a god like Walter Simonson needs a break from time to time. So we are we're we're warming up on these two issues. 
Exactly. So what we have here, we have Thor number 356, which is a uh, fill-in about Thor and Hercules, and we have number 370, which is about Thor in the Wild West, which works even better than you might think. (laughs) They're both pretty amazing. Uh, As fill-in issues, they are completely delightful. Yes. They're also completely unnecessary for uh, Simonson's run, so uh, that's why we're doing them right here. Yes. You are getting a bonus. Uh, So I guess with that, should we go ahead and talk about the first of those issues? Absolutely. We've got uh, The Power and the Pride, uh, written by Bob Harris and penciled by Jackson Geis, who uh, you know from X-Factor and New Mutants. Yeah, Geis was actually the co-creator of X-Factor with Bob Layton way back in the day. And the whole issue is set up with this perfect cover. This cover, uh, it's Hercules shoving Thor off the cover. You don't even see Thor's, uh, his face, as uh, Hercules says, Stand aside, Thunder God. Walt Simonson is on vacation, and so art thou. I love those meta covers. (laughs) With a blonde girl holding a frisbee saying, Oh, Herky, you're so, so godly. (laughs) <laughs> so I remember when I was reading these issues as a kid, this one actually kind of bothered me because I was here in the middle of this amazing run by Walter Simonson where all the plot lines connected. There were these long running bits of foreshadowing going from issue to issue. And then I'm like, wait, what What the hell is this? Who's this big beardy guy? I didn't yet have my appreciation for the concept of beards that I do now. <laughs> you did not have the personal experience that you have at this, at this moment in time. Exactly. I hadn't yet spawned forth a thousand glorious hairs from my face. Uh, similarly, you know, I hated filling issues at the time when I was reading in continuity, but this one is so charming because they make no bones about it. They're not trying to slip one past us. Like They set it up so perfectly in this cover. This is a fill-in issue. This is fun. This is completely unconnected, and and you're going to have a great time. And indeed we do. And um, I know you mentioned that uh, that was a little surprising when you were talking to your husband about it, because it's written by Bob Harris, who isn't typically known for being like a super humorous writer. Yeah, you know, I, I was trying to remember who the, the creative team was. And, and, and yes, it was surprising that, that Bob Harris was so funny. But I have to say that Jackson Geis is a perfect penciler for this because he's got this very, I don't want to say generic, but kind of like a, a stereotypical superhero style. It's all very clean and, and godly and studly with, with a lot of humor. Right. And so when you do have ridiculous things happening, using this uh, normal looking art, it sells it that much more. Mm-hmm. Hercules walks through Central Park with Jarvis. Ah, tis a glorious day, friend Jarvis. Indeed, tis fitting weather for the day upon which I have chosen to surprise my compatriots, the mighty Avengers, with a feast that would delight the gods of Olympus. So this reminds me of something that you mentioned earlier when we were uh, planning this episode. You said that you'd been reading the early Avenger stuff as a bedtime story, right? Yes. To my son, Sid, for like the past three years, we've been making our way through the first two Avengers omnibuses. Is it omnibuses or omnibi? uh, I think people try to say omnibi, but I think omnibuses is actually correct. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Like with octopuses, where it's octopuses, not octopi. I know, but Latin. Oh, Latin. Freaking Latin. But that's You're dead for a reason, Latin. Whose idea was Latin anyway? (laughs) But so, yes, we've been making our way through it. And of course, Hercules becomes part of the Avengers. And I love, as you can tell, I love doing voices. And when I started doing Hercules's uh, voice, I was doing a really amped up version of Thor to the point where I was doing so much vibrato that my husband would overhear me in the next room and he'd be like, 
you do not know how to do bedtime stories. Like, you need to chill out. And I'm just like, it's Hercules. Like, so come on, if you're reading about Hercules, you got to really amp up your audience, even if they're supposed to be going to sleep. Well, Sid actually did eventually be like, um, can you tone that down? So I had this whole backstory that while Hercules was on Earth, he was deciding to fit in more. So really his vibrato only came out at his most godly moments. Okay, I, I feel pretty good about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we have Hercules and Jarvis, the butler of the Avengers, and of mm-hmm. course Thor is also a member of the Avengers uh, in this era, walking through Central Park. And I love how everything Hercules does is just like grinning maniacally, being as like intensely descriptive as he possibly can. I appreciate that in a person because I kind of do that sometimes too. Yeah, everything about Hercules is pumped up to the nth degree. And I especially love that his everyday wear includes these strappy thigh-high boots. Yeah, they're like they're like those sandals that you strap around your ankles, but he just kept going. Yeah, there was a one point uh, in the Avengers where he like tried to be normal and like shaved off his beard and all of this. And it was kind of, it was all right, but it was a little bit disappointing. Hercules really is a character who makes no bones about being Hercules all the time. Right. And so Jarvis, however, realizes that this is Earth, you know, it's not as easy to do Herculean stuff. So he's a little worried about getting the Mycenaean wine for this feast. It's a little bit hard to find that stuff. Yes. And of course, you know, Hercules is just spending this time lauding himself about how amazing he is and how wonderful it's going to be for everybody. And also, as they walk, we see in the background, there's a a cute little touch there. You see Walt and Wheezy, which, of course, is Walter Simonson and Louise Simonson, uh, Walt plus Wheezy in a heart on a tree in the background, which is very cute. Yeah. And there are a couple of characters who are walking in the background of that same page that I think maybe were supposed to be Walter and Louise. Yeah. Yeah. It's very much like affectionate, you know, references to Walter Simonson. It, it, again, it it kind of transitions this into being a fill-in issue. It still includes him. Mm-hmm. Um, so to tangent briefly, uh, when the first Thor movie came out, I was super excited because I love Thor and the Marvel movies have been pretty good so far. And I thought the Thor movie was, was also pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's this feast at the end and Walter Simonson himself is actually one of the like feasters at the table. And I, I think the noise I made out loud at this point was something along the lines of, <laughs> See, well, I have a grounding in Thor. I was not as into it as as you are, so I did not notice that at the time. But I did see that on the internet, like, last week when I was doing some research. I'm like, oh, how nice. Like, it's not just Stan Lee who gets, you know, all the cameos. It, it felt like very, a, a great nod that they had Walter Simonson in there. Exactly. As they're going, Hercules is hit in the head with a frisbee thrown by a young lady. And she and her friends, of course, all gather and fawn over him. It's like an old school Archie, you know, comic. (laughs) Hercules says, Alas, tis my curse to be irresistible to mortal women. Oh, whoa. And Jarvis is like, yeah, whatever, dude. Now, you may have noticed we're now X minutes into a Thor podcast. And there's really no Thor. We've just been talking about Hercules. So here is where Thor kind of comes in. We get to Matthew Linden, a young boy sitting in the park, drawing pictures of Thor in his sketchbook. He's then confronted by a bunch of stereotypical 80s jerks uh, led by Tony, who make fun of his drawings and take a sketchbook. Oh, and some of these bullies, I mean, mostly they're just, you know, not very notable 80s jerks. But there's this one kid who has this yellow crop top with like a big red star on it. And okay, I was around in the 80s. I mean, I was a kid, but I was around and I don't really remember that being a thing. Was that a thing? I don't remember seeing that. So maybe this is just a special level. Maybe that kid is being bullied by the bullies and forced to wear the shirt. Maybe but, there's a whole backstory here. Oh, you think it's like sort of a hazing ritual? Kind yeah, of? yeah. Okay, like, hey, we're going to pick on this kid who's not cool, but you have to wear this shirt that's not cool. Although I got to say, <laughs> I kind of think the shirt is cool. Maybe I'd be a bad bully because I like the shirt. Yeah, well, you 
know, if you got it, flaunt it, you know. But for, for me, it's it's Tony. He looks like he's like 10 years older than all the bullies. And he kind of looks like he's like a local Kinko's employee who's just like really mad about young artists. What you got there, wimp? Is that that sketchbook you're always drawn in? Don't you think you're a little weird, drawn all the time instead of playing ball like normal kids? They also belittle Matthew's choice of Thor. You know, they they call him a, a long-haired weirdo in favor of normal heroes like the Torch and Spider-Man. But and they tell him that basically he needs to prove that Thor is the best, or they're going to throw his sketchbook in the trash. I feel like these bullies are finding every possible level on which they could be jerks. Like they're actually very successful as bullies. They have this go-get'em attitude that I almost kind of respect. <laughs> they hit every note. They even bring his mother into it. Oh, you're gonna cry to your mommy? Nah, 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 nah. They're like a uh, Scott Farkas on steroids. I mean, it's probably for the best that there's not a nearby trash can or or a toilet because otherwise it's going to be swirlies or dunkings or whatever. <laughs> and so they uh, coincidentally spot Hercules wandering through the park, expounding and exclaiming. And so they push the kid to go talk to Hercules and to ask him who's stronger, him or Thor. And Hercules, of course, immediately assumes they're his fans because Hercules, in his mind, is the best and everyone is going to be his fans. Ha ha ha! Excuse me, lad, whilst I regain my composure. Surely you know that I'm called the Prince of Power? I did not come by that name easily. And so he starts talking about all of his various Herculean labors, like, you know, the ones in actual mythology, and is a little dismayed to find that none of these kids know what the hell he's talking about. They're all like, yeah, yeah, well, I'm sure those old, old-time adventures were cool, but, you know, what have you done for us lately? <laughs> right. And so Matthew repeats himself, like, hey, so about the whole you and Thor thing— Who's better? Who's stronger? And so Hercules tells his mighty tale, and this is why this is a Thor issue. <laughs> so we open with Thor and Hercules hanging out in the Avengers mansion with Jarvis serving them, and Hercules notices that Thor is a little down. I fear I am depressed. Although the exploits of Thor are the stuff of legend, although I have fought storm giants and troll kings, and have reached the furthest edge of the universe, still they are nothing beside your glorious deeds. You are too kind. And you too humble, friend Hercules. Pray let us engage in our test of strength once more. If perhaps I beat you this one time, then truly my life will have meaning once more. And Jarvis says, Oh, Master Thor, why must you always embarrass yourself? Beat Master Hercules. Oh, that is rich. I really do love that in Hercules' whole fantasy sequence, Thor is just such, like, a simpering whiner, and everybody is on Hercules' side about how awesome Hercules is. Yeah, this whole tale really puts insight into Hercules' mind, wherein he's the greatest, he's the best, everyone else is jealous of him, and, and, and everybody's just waiting to, to see what he does next. I kind of have to wonder, though, I mean, does Hercules really believe that? Or is he actually kind of insecure and just trying to convince everyone about how awesome he is? I think this does open up his insecurities. I mean, think about Hercules' life, you know? He had kind of an absent dad. Zeus was just, like, transforming into different animals and impregnating, you know, random women all over the place. He Thor had Odin, kind of the ultimate, like, helicopter dad, <laughs> you know, like, pushing him. And I think Hercules is jealous. Okay, so it's all about daddy issues. Yeah, everything is, isn't it? I mean, to be fair, most of mythology actually kind of is. It kind of literally is. Right. <laughs> and so they begin their challenges. They arm wrestle, and Hercules, of course, easily beats Thor. And Thor throws a temper tantrum like a child, and is just like, why? Why do I always have to be second best? And he hits Hercules on the head with Mjolnir, and it's not even in the panels. It's not like this huge, mighty crash. It's like, 
played for comedy. It's like he taps him on the back and then immediately is like, what did I do? Yeah, I love it. I mean, that's one of the things that works so well about comics as a medium is that you can really have the visuals complement what the story is trying to get across in a way that you can't in other media necessarily, simply because you have to be kind of realistic if you're doing something in film. But with comics, like, yeah, Geist just sells the humor of this beautifully. So Hercules processes that Thor just hit him in the head with Mjolnir and then throws him across the room with a giant smash sound effect. And so the fight continues out in the street, and Thor, while he's sort of complaining and whining about how he's always being humbled by Hercules and hearing about how great Hercules is and why can't he be great, he actually rips up a big chunk of the street to, like, kind of whack Hercules with. Which Hercules then lectures him about destroying city property, that it's disgraceful, but it doesn't stop him from then smashing right through the pavement that, that Thor is holding. No! Will nothing stop you? Poor Thor. Truly he did feel most inferior in comparison to me, but then, who would not? And then, of course, because they're strong superheroes in New York, they start throwing cars and trucks and stuff like that at each other. Oh, Thor, surely you do not intend to stop me with that puny car. Tis not just a car, Hercules, tis a Volkswagen! Asgardian Germanic humor! I, I, I kind of love it. And so they battle through the Empire State Building, eventually toppling into the street. When the best part of the whole comic happens. In Hercules' story, suddenly a little old lady comes up and asks Hercules to help her cross the street. And then whacks Thor on the head with her purse. And you, you beast, leave nice Mr. Hercules alone and get a haircut, you hippie. Which is another beautiful part of this. Uh, several people in Hercules' story remark about Thor's hair. So apparently Hercules is either really jealous of Thor's hair or just hates long hair. I think he's got to be really jealous. I mean, have you seen Thor's amazing Asgardian mullet? That he, thing is amazing. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's hard to beat. <sighs> his, you know, Odin probably like brushed his hair like a hundred strokes every night before he tucked him in. <laughs> okay, so um, and explain the X-Men. We just got done with an episode where we talk about the way John Bognov draws Banshee's mullet in the Extinction Agenda. Okay. So I feel like John Bognov is the ultimate mullet artist. And as much as I love Walter Simonson, I feel like we should bring Bognov in just for Thor's hair in every sure, panel. Sure, sure. Yeah, pinch hinder. Let's get a ringer in. Right, just for the hair. You know, yeah. that, that's all. <laughs> So then we're at a department store where another extraordinarily humorous sequence of panels. Hercules punches Thor and he sails over the perfume counter. And then in the next uh, panel, you get Hercules walking down the perfume counter, you know, coming back after him. Come back here, you hammer-carrying barbarian. I still have a lump the size of a hen's egg from your foul attack. And everybody in the perfume shop's like, yeah, whatever, superhero battle for me. It was Tuesday. Okay. Yeah, I mean, to their credit, they live in New York. If they stopped what they were doing every time there was a superhero fight, nobody would get anything done. Right, exactly. You just get used to it. It's like when I grew up in South Florida, you're just sweaty all the time. Nobody even comments on it. In New York, <laughs> you're having superheroes smash your stuff all the time. Whatever. Life goes on. In Portland, it rains, and then it rains, and then it rains, and then it rains. But the next part, as Hercules continues his story, as it continues to ex escalate, he tells his listeners about how he then ripped the entire island of Manhattan off of its foundations just to dump Thor in the Hudson River. And the panel of it is 
Exactly that. The whole goddamn island just being held by this one dude. It, yeah, it's a pretty amazing panel. It looks like uh, an Imperial starship or something that he's lifted up all by himself. The physics here are a little iffy. Did you ever hear about how they justified Superman's uh, ability to lift big things? Because, like, normally if you lift something that big, it would break in half. It would break in half in the middle or whatever, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Apparently, he has limited telekinesis, super telekinesis. What? If you will, that only work on things he's, only works on things he's carrying. Like, that reminds me of how the official handbook of the Marvel Universe attempted to justify Cyclops' optic blasts by saying that his eyes opened up into a dimension of pure force. That's what happens when you overthink things. That's how we got midichlorians, okay? People should just go with it. Do you want to get midichlorians? Because that's how you get midichlorians. <laughs> it's the kissing disease, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but Jedi's can't kiss. Maybe that's why. That's why. Exactly. It all comes together. Yep, yep. We're unlocking the secrets of the universe here. <sighs> One Jedi kiss at a time. <laughs> That's why you're listening to the show, gentle donors, Jedi Kisses. So as you may have noticed, Hercules' story kind of strains credulity. And it's at this point when he claims to have lifted the entire island of Manhattan where his audience is basically like, we don't believe you. Are you sure this is true? And and Hercules immediately, you know, switches and says, well, no, I, what I meant was I was angry enough to do it. Clearly, Herc. And as, this, as all this is going on, Jarvis notices that Matthew, the kid who asked this question in the first place, is just getting more and more disheartened and like a tear is starting to stream down his face silently because Thor's his dude and he's hearing about his, his hero being a buffoon and being beaten up and being dumped into the Hudson when Hercules lifts Manhattan. But also, you know, if he doesn't prove that Thor is the best hero of them all... Jerk Tony is going to destroy his his sketchbook. And as he does, you know, Tony keeps glaring at him and like crunching his sketchbook and just being a super jerk. Oh, super jerk. Uh, do you think Tony has a future as a supervillain? Like, is he too, I would say, is he too petty? But a lot of supervillains are really petty. I mean, Lex Luthor's whole thing with being mad because he's bald, stuff like that. <laughs> Dr. Doom being obsessed with his face. There's a lot of supervillain vanity going on, isn't there? Yeah, he already seems to have like a crew and he seems to be able to make them dress in ridiculous costumes. I mean, if the belly shirt's anything. So, you know, he's he's got some influence. He's got some motivation. Well, and this begs another question because like you were saying, in New York, it's just so normal that all this carnage occurs all the time. Like, do you think that supervillain superhero are just viable career options like you go to your job fair and you know the wrecking crew or whoever has a booth yeah like the low level villains will like sit there and try to recruit people you know the higher level ones they, they don't have to do that you you just contact them through monster.com and then there's the great lakes avengers in the corner and just nobody's lining up and- <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> poor, poor them, poor always them. And so Jarvis brings Hercules aside and is like, hey, dude, um, you may want to consider this. Uh, my emotional intelligence is one of the many skills I offer as a butler. So maybe change your story a little bit. And to Hercules' credit, once he realizes that he's hurt Matthew's feelings, he immediately does a 180 and, and, and changes the story to at the last possible minute, Thor reveals that he has only been faking his weakness. Hercules, prepare yourself to face the wrath of Thor. How truly he spoke, for he did deliver such a blow as has never been seen before by man or god. I landed in a place the gods forgot. 
New Jersey. And there is this amazing full page panel of Hercules being punched off Manhattan, being like a mile in the sky, having gotten whacked in the face by Thor. I really appreciate that Hercules uses that hyperbole, not just about how awesome he is, but about every single thing he describes. I like to think that his mind instantly changes gears to portraying himself as the best to still telling the best possible story. So he does maybe lead it all back to his own self-gratification, but he's still, he wants to give people a good time. Exactly. He's not making it up. He's making it good. Yes. Yes. So uh, Matthew is psyched. Jerk Tony has to give the sketchbook back, although he does it insulting Matthew some more. Of course. And Hercules uh, runs off the bullies, realizing what's going on, and invites Matthew to come with him to this big dinner he's going to make for the Avengers at the Avengers Mansion. And they all walk off into the sunset on the search for Mycenae and wine. It's pretty great. You mentioned that this seemed very, like, Saturday morning cartoon to you, the way this ended. Absolutely. It's like the old cartoons that had, like, Mr. T and Hulk Hogan just, like, hanging out with regular kids. Like, come on, kids, let's stay in school and be good to your mama and, and eat your vegetables. Oh, man, now I'm imagining, like, a Saturday morning cartoon that was basically just Hercules as he's portrayed in this issue. (laughs) That would be kind of amazing. It would be how to be awesome like me. How to be the super, super best like me. How to deal with people who are jealous because you are super, super awesome like me. I got, like, uh, shades of Johnny Bravo here almost. Yes, yes. So, yeah, there you have it. That is Thor number 356, entirely divorced from continuity, really no, no necessity to read it to follow Walter Simonson's story that it interrupts. What a ton of fun. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Just a, a jewel. It's a it's a glittering jewel, a palate cleanser, and, and something that, much like Simonson's uh, run, I think has stood the test of time. Yeah, but this next issue, aw, oh, dude, this next issue. So 356, the one with Hercules, part of why it works is that the tone is so different from what Simonson's run has been doing. And 370, while it's certainly written by a different person, very much does fit into the intensely, almost excessively epic tone of Simonson's run, because this is all about Viking space gods in the Wild West. That phrase contains so much of what I want in my life and in the world. If there was more swearing and whoring in this, this could totally be a Thor-Deadwood crossover. Oh man, that (laughs) is a thing I've never thought about, and now I can't stop thinking about it. I love this. So Thor number 370 is called Easy Money. It's written by James Owsley, whose name I was not familiar with. More on that in a moment. And penciled by John Buscema, who uh, at this point was the regular penciler of uh, the mighty Thor for Walter Simonson. Walter Simonson pencils the first half of his run, but John Buscema pencils the second half of his run. Now, James Owsley, it turns out, is the same person as Christopher Priest, who you may have heard of. He's done a lot of Black Panther. He's done uh, Quantum and Woody, all sorts of things. One thing that I found out in my research is that in his run of Black Panther, Christopher Priest slash James Owsley actually has a two-issue story where Black Panther and his team go back and interrupt this very issue and keep messing up the plot and have to, like, undo it to make sure it happened the way that it did in the first place. Wait, like Back to the Future 2? Kind of like Back to the Future 2. Or was that 3? Which one when Marty goes back and has to, that is, is that, no, that is 2, because 3 is... The Wild West. Three is the Wild West. Oh, it all comes together. Oh. Three is actually my favorite Back to the Future. I realize that's an unpopular opinion, but I love it so much. I think we might have realized this came out in 1985. Maybe Back to the Future ripped off Thor. I'm going to say Back to the Future ripped <laughs> off Thor. That, that seems very likely to me. 
but yes, it's it's a ton of fun. And if you can track down those Black Panther issues, they're on Marvel Unlimited, just like uh, the entire Simonson run of Thor, including the fill-ins. Uh, it's definitely worth your time. That is Black Panther number 46 and 47 from the Volume 3 run in 2002. I'm going to have to check that out. I think you should, yeah. <clears throat> but having John Buscema as the artist, you know, when I was reading this, I realized that Buscema is kind of like my favorite artist that I keep kind of forgetting. Like, I'm always so happy to see him, but I don't think I've ever really sought out a comic because of him. Mm-hmm. But like, I loved his his run on Wolverine and I loved his Conan stuff. And in oh, yeah. part, like... In a way, it's like he does like a grown-up Hanna-Barbera style. Like he does goofy, he does creepy really well. He does like, you know, physical comedy and just drama. Like he's amazing. He's a really versatile artist. Yeah, and you certainly see all of those elements uh, in this issue. I mean, some things are very serious and then some characters just have a really goofy design. I know he's the ongoing Thor artist at this point, but it's like they couldn't have picked a better artist for this issue. For this specific issue. Mm-hmm. Um, the cover, however, I don't know what they were thinking with the cover because it's the most generic Thor cover I can possibly imagine. Yeah, it's just a Thor standing in space. The Thunder God challenges the ultimate foe for the fate of all Asgard. Dude, that could describe like any Thor story with, I mean, with sufficient hyperbole, but this is Thor. So of course we have hyperbole all the time. Yeah, it's like either they had this, you know, sketch laying around and thought, okay, let's make it a cover. Or they didn't know what the story was going to be or or they were worried that having an Old West tale would like alienate the regular readers so they're like well just make it look generic generic thor ah unfortunate maybe it was a rush job i don't know hard to say but what we do get is our opening narration which you may remember from the very beginning of this episode which by the way is the thing we're going to be doing in the ongoing uh thor podcast in the lightning and the storm we're going to pick our favorite most epic sounding quote and open that the relevant episode with it Woohoo! so i did it the first time do you want to do it this time some say the gods are immortal that their adventures span time and space And Earth has ever been the battleground for the strangest sagas. This is one such saga. Danville, Texas, 1875. And I like the, wait, what, of the Danville, Texas part. Because we've seen Thor in a lot of situations, but hanging out with a bunch of cowboys, not so much that. Exactly. I mean, even in the early days of Marvel, it's what, like the 1960s, you know? Even though he's immortal, you don't really think of him as being on Earth prior to that. We get so much cool stuff of Thor's past, actually, in Jason Aaron's more recent run. Nice. So good. I, I love Jason Aaron's run. It's my second favorite after Simonson's. Uh, so here we open with Sundance, a ginger cowboy kind of dude, getting thrown out of a saloon for cheating at cards. He fires at the people who threw him out with his six-shooter and misses every single time. So apparently he's bad at cheating at cards and bad at shooting the people who call him on cheating at cards. Reading this issue, I quickly realized Sundance is the Rick Jones of the Old West. Oh, like Rick Jones, the perpetual Avenger sidekick? Yeah, he's kind of hapless. He's kind of ethically challenged. He's not really good at stuff, but he's always kind of around either bailing out or being bailed out by the big heroes. Yeah, and not really taking responsibility for himself. So as he's thrown out, he says, What's so bad about having five aces? So he prepares to leave town because apparently he's going to get, you know, murdered if he stays there past sunset. And an old-timey prospector guy with, like, a frayed hat and two big clothes and a great big white beard. This is, like, the the definitive old-timey prospector guy. Sure. Um, asks him if he wants to make some easy money. He just has to take a claim check from the guy uh, out of town off to the road to Aberdeen. He'll find a dude on a white horse, and that guy will give him 100 bucks, which in old-timey times was a lot of money. I mean, honestly, that's not so bad right now. Like, I would totally take a claim check to a guy on a horse for 100 bucks. Absolutely. 
I mean, you know, it's a weird thing to put on your CV when you're getting a job. <laughs> Can do errands for men on horses or not afraid of horses. <laughs> horses are pretty scary. I mean, we've talked about this a lot on Explain the X-Men, but they're troubling. They are. They're like giant dogs that could kill you if they stomp on you. Right. Nothing and, against horses. Sorry. Well, and, you know, we'll be talking about a particularly awesome horse person very shortly once we actually start Simonson's run in our first real episode. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Bay <laughs> Bill is great. And so as Sundance is preparing to both get the hell out of town and make a quick hundred, uh, suddenly a bunch of riders approach, and they're really intimidating. And part of what I like about the way they're drawn here is that, you know, the coloring in this issue is pretty much what you'd expect. Stuff is the colors that it would be in real life. But these guys are just colored like a solid red, and it's mm -hmm. genuinely intimidating. And they come into town, and just as Sundance is starting to leave, start shooting the place up, and Sundance asks the old guy, what the hell's going on? What's this all about? It's about pride, boy, and honor redeemed. Comes a time in a man's life when he's got to stop being a worm, you know? This old man, like, went from being kind of my hero to all the way my hero at this point. Yeah, old man McGucket is definitely awesome. Right. Just as an aside, um, I'm super psyched to be doing uh, Sundance because this is my official Rick Jones voice for uh, for uh, the, my Avengers bedtime story for Sid. Rick! Jones, I, oh, I always like it. <laughs> and then I would have Bucky do that too because I'm like, Bucky and Rick Jones, they're kind of like the same. Oh man, and now I'm just picturing the Winter Soldier who Bucky later becomes still talking that way despite <laughs> being super intimidating looking. Mother Russia! <laughs> oh, man. I feel good about this. So Sundance gets the hell out of not Dodge and uh, the riders continue murdering everybody in the saloon that he just got thrown out of. They head inside amid the carnage, like, and it's pretty brutal. I mean, there are, like, everybody's just dead in here. There's blood everywhere and smashed stuff, and all the booze is probably ruined, which is also sad. I mean, less sad, don't get me wrong, but I'm still sad. But especially in the Old West, it's not like they can just go to the liquor store. They gotta, like, grow a bunch of corn to, like, remake all that whiskey. I'm pretty sure that's how that works. <laughs> Now, the leader of these riders, who are no longer drawn in all red now that they've successfully murdered everyone, is an interesting-looking fellow wearing all green, including a long green cloak with a kind of long-drawn face. I mean, hmm. it was pretty clear to me that, okay, this is our Asgardian connection here right away. This guy's got to be Loki, right? See, that sailed right over my head, but yes, in, in retrospect, absolutely. So, uh, not Loki walks up to the old-timey prospector, who's also sadly been shot, and uh, talks about how he's made a grave error in betraying him, and then just leaves him for dead, and the bad guys go away to do other bad guy stuff elsewhere. But a little bit later, as the prospector is beginning to breathe his last, suddenly, this hulking, clean blue-clad cowboy figure shows up, backlit by the light coming in from the destroyed uh, panes of the ceiling. Do you call ceiling stuff panes? Panels? Maybe destroyed panels of the ceiling. I had such a good flow going, it's so unfortunate. <laughs> but that's alright, listeners, you are seeing how the sausage is made with this episode, so we're gonna leave that in. Zero issue! <laughs> yes. Uh, and the old-timey prospector guy is very grateful to see him. Y you Thank the All-Father you've come. And he tells the silent hulking figure about the claim check and where to go meet Sundance on that road to Aberdeen. But, of course, Sundance decides to see if he can make a buck off it instead in Wilmington because Sundance is terrible about everything, including following simple instructions, which seems especially crazy here because $100 is a pretty good payday. But just like Rick Jones, he has to push his luck. Oh, man. 
this kid's very unnecessarily defiant. I mean, sometimes if someone just says, do a simple thing, here's a hundred bucks, maybe just do the thing, especially if your day's already been going pretty crappily. Yeah, he needs some sort of Old West therapist. I think he does, or at least like a tiny Rick Jones on his shoulder to tell him you know, <laughs> what to do. Uh, and he, in fact, thinks about this as he arrives in Wilmington. Then again, maybe tonight was like a warning. I was lucky that guy just clipped my shoulder instead of planting me on boot hill. Maybe someone's trying to tell me something. Maybe I should try to make an honest living. Nah. And so he heads into the bar and, oh, it's it's the scary evil cowboys complete with their scary evil green leader. And the way they're drawn here, like, it is genuinely intimidating the way Busima draws them. They all have these super long mustaches, which I realize are not something, that's not something you typically think of as being especially intimidating. But believe me when I say, it totally is, look at the panel if you don't believe me. And they all just sort of look at him. And, you know, this is a clue to Sundance that something's up because they should not have been able to beat him there. Yeah, you know, it's almost as if there's something supernatural going on. <laughs> And they are there to ask him how come he didn't go to Aberdeen. Right, they knew what was supposed to happen. And so the guy in green makes him a deal, making it very clear that uh, Sundance had probably better comply just in case. He just needs to take that claim check to exactly where he was going to go and lead the stranger on the white horse that he's going to meet to Buzzard Gulch at high noon. And the phrase Buzzard Gulch at high noon, there's like a special Wild West place in my heart that just sings when I hear that. Yeah, this hits all the like Old West notes in a gorgeous way. And, you know, it's not like uh, Sundance won't be rewarded because the green-clad man has an enchanted deck of playing cards that will never lose a game and will also protect their holder from any sort of uh, injury or death. And to prove it, he smacks the deck onto Sundance's arm where he got shot when he was kicked out of the bar, and suddenly he's healed. It also, we must note, heals Sundance's shirt. It's like some sort of a magical tailor. I wonder if it would actually iron things, too. I mean, mending is like just a cantrip if you're a wizard, right? Sure. Like, it's, it's not that hard. Absolutely. I'm sure this green-clad, mysterious gentleman could totally throw in that enchantment for free. It's like Jinsu knives. <laughs> you know, she just comes with it. It also is a lint roller. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, in Buzzard Gulch, we don't see our heroes there yet, but we do see some old-timey train guys having to stop their train because in the middle of the tracks is a henge. Like, you know, from Stonehenge. One there. Which was kind of weird to me because, okay, Asgardian stuff, whatever. Icelandic stuff, that makes sense. But henges are like like Celtic, right? There's, those yeah, are... something. Old English or, yeah. I don't know. I just keep expecting the demon druid from Excalibur and all that old stuff to appear. Maybe it's <laughs> for, for the best that he doesn't. We don't need that guy here. <laughs> yeah, it was very dramatic. And so just as the train stops... Suddenly, the evil cowboys show up, and they start a gunfight with the trained constable dudes. But the bad guys are, like, immune to bullets and love. And the green man busts into the cargo car and finds a box, red with gold dragons on it, and it's full of golden apples. And anyone who's been reading Thor up to this point, which I would assume would be most of the readers, since I don't know why you would just jump in with this issue, unless the generic cover really uh, drew you in— these, in fact, are the apples of Iadun. Iadun is a goddess, and uh, the apples that she has created slash enchanted, I'm not quite clear on that part, are what give the gods their eternal life. They have to keep occasionally eating these golden apples. They stay young, and they stay strong, and they stay immortal forever. Yeah, basically, if they don't meet the, eat their magical apples, they all get kind of Asgardian scurvy. <laughs> it totally is Asgardian scurvy. <laughs> and actually, I'm currently reading this book about the Dash Diet, which proclaims that eating lots of fruit and vegetables can make you younger. So this seems legit. Clearly. Okay, so that, that lends credence to both uh, the Asgardian myths and also to the Dash Diet itself. That's backed up by, like, actual divine mythology. It gets even worse that the Asgardians slack off on their step aerobics, because even ancient gods need a solid workout routine. Oh, man, yeah, you just got 
got to like climb the steep part of Bifrost, go up and down it all the time every morning. <laughs> so the green-clad man sheds his disguise now that he's found what he was looking for, and indeed, in a burst of Kirby dots, it is revealed, this is Loki, god of evil slash lies slash mischief slash depending on who you ask. He takes a bite out of an apple and is restored to youth. So that can't be good. But what's going on with Sundance, I wonder? He's awakened in a hotel by a cowboy silhouette and fires his pistol. Fortunately, again, he misses every shot. And it's the blue-clad cowboy from before. Silent, agent solemn, long blonde hair. Oh, perhaps the plot begins to thicken. Perhaps things begin to develop and be made clear. Sundance mentions that the man does not talk much. Forgive my grim countenance, Sundance. This is not a good time for me. There is an ancient legend that says that gods, in order to retain their eternal youth, must often feast of the golden apples of the goddess Iadun. Have you heard of that myth? And he explains to Sundance, as they head off to, you know, get to Buzzard Gulch at noon, because Sundance is still pulling that shtick, about what's been going on. Apparently, Loki had stolen the golden apples of Iadun and brought them to Midgard which is to say Earth, giving them to a troll. The troll had a change of heart and wanted to get the apples to Thor so Thor could bring them back to Asgard, and that's this conflict that's going on right here. That's what that claim check is about. It's why Loki and Thor are on Earth and look pretty old. Well, Loki doesn't anymore because he took a bite, but still. And I like what you said earlier about how it was so funny that Thor is like, this isn't a good time for me. Like, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just going through some stuff, man. It's, it's a little rough. I'll tell you about it sometime. <laughs> is there an Old West therapist here? <laughs> oh, I feel like old-timey people were, were not good at things. Like, would a therapist just basically attach leeches to his face and bleed him or something? They, like, amputate something. You think that hurts? Wait, wait till you lose a finger. Why didst thou amputate mine hair? <laughs> Everybody's against Thor's glorious hair. Everybody is jealous. Now I just think of Thor always referring to haircuts as hair amputation. That's kind of how I think about it. Well, you've got a glorious mane, much like Thor. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit grayer. Well, not in this issue. He's got pretty gray hair in this issue. I have advice for you. More apples. Oh, that's the thing. I need golden (laughs) apples. I'll head up Safeway after this. It'll be good. So suddenly, Loki and a bunch of axe and mace-wielding trolls ride up on the front of the train like something out of Asgard Western Mad Max. Okay, this panel is so good. I remember I texted you this panel like as soon as I got to it. Mm -hmm. Because it's an old-timey train, and there's Loki, like, cackling maniacally with all these trolls with axes. Welcome, accursed brother. Welcome to Midgard. Welcome to Buzzard Gulch. Death rides for thee. I kind of feel like that's something that uh, somebody would yell out right before the chugga-chugga guitar start in, like, a death metal song. Absolutely. I think on the side, they have uh, formed some sort of a band, you know? Maybe this is their tour train. Oh, it's kind of like the Doof Warrior in Mad Max Fury Road with the flamethrowing guitar? Exactly. Oh, yes. And the speech bubbles here. So John Workman uh, does most, if not all, of the lettering in Thor. And I don't know if he was in charge of speech bubble structure or if that was the writer, in in this case, Christopher Priest. But there are, like, these super spiky, jagged speech bubbles whenever anybody as Guardian is getting, like, super angry or psyched or whatever. And there needs to be more of that. Don't just leave that to Sandman. Like, you should have that in Thor, too. Sure, sure. Sundance has no idea what to make of this and starts to run, but Thor's no coward. Suddenly, Mjolnir flies from off panel and into his hand, and he spins it and scoom! He's old Thor on a Pegasus. And it is awesome, because suddenly Sundance is like, okay, I was hanging out with this old cowboy dude, there's some weird stuff going on, and then this old guy suddenly is wearing spandex and has a big red cape, and he's riding a Pegasus, and he's got a giant hammer, and what is happening here? This is not what I signed up for. I wasn't even supposed to be here today. <laughs> Get thee back, Sundance the Valiant. 
Thor doth race into the very jaws of death. For Asgard, for Midgard, for Buzzard Gulch! But Thor, thanks to being old, gets overwhelmed by trolls. And I think this opens the for a spinoff, Old Man Thor. Oh, man, seriously. But you know, when you get down to it, time makes troll food of us all. <laughs> Sundance, on Loki's advice, takes the, the better part of valor and leaves. Not my fight. Heck, these guys are gods or something. That old guy can take care of himself. Ah. Heck. And then he turns around. This is his Han Solo moment. And it's also a nice parallel to the him thinking about having an honest living and then saying nah to himself. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of um uh, verbal callbacks in this issue. And we're not covering all of them, but this is probably one of my very favorites. Sure, sure. So he goes into the fray, fires at Loki, misses a lot, of course. He actually gets into a, a position where he's directly in front of a troll where you think, finally, he'll be able to hit him with a bullet and the troll bites his gun in half. It's pretty great. You mentioned Salbuceema's like comedic art, uh, the way you can do that sometimes, and yeah, that's right here. So he's just got one unbitten gun left, and that gun just has one bullet. It's now or never, buddy. Come on, Sundance. Don't lose it now. Remember what the man said. Comes a time in a man's life when he's got to stop being a worm. Lord, make it today. And he fires, and sure enough, the bullet knocks the apple out of Loki's hand. He kind of reminds me of um, Longshot from X-Men, where like his motives kind of determine how lucky or not he is. Exactly. So what we've seen here is what Longshot would be like if he were, you know, a, a card-cheating scoundrel. He would not be good at things. <laughs> yeah, no, not quite as lucky. I also like how he's pumping him up like Stuart Smalley. He's like, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it. Well, most people don't like you, Sundance, but don't let that stop you. Maybe they'll, you know, like you better after this. Uh, And so Sundance dives for the apple and throws it to Thor, who's currently getting, like, severely dogpiled. Trollpiled? Trollpiled by trolls. So Thor takes a bite of the apple, and of course this is the apple that Loki also took a bite of, which reminds me of when my mom would make me and my brother share food. But it's got his spit on it! Come on! I don't want to be young from his apple! Uh, But it works, because despite being so very troll-piled, with a single mighty blow of Mjolnir, the trolls all go flying and Thor is super awesome, and his cape flows in the Wild West dusty wind. And his hair blows in the breeze! And Thor thanks Sundance. Thor shall not soon forget thee. And he spins his hammer to teleport away to Asgard, because even though Loki and his trolls have all fled at this point, because they weren't counting on fighting, like, you know, Thor not as an old dude, he's like, all right, I gotta get these apples back to my bros in Asgard, because they're all getting super, super old, and some of them were kind of old already, and this won't be so good. So he'll track down Loki another day, and for now, he's gone, leaving a very confused Sundance in the middle of the desert. I'd go tell someone if I didn't think they'd lock me up. Hey... Almost forgot. Loki's magic cards. Maybe I could... Nah. And he throws them all over his shoulder into the wind, which, I gotta say, smart move, messing with Loki's magic. Like, maybe maybe just don't, dude. Yeah, yeah, that's never going to end well. And so that's Thor number 370, and I love this issue. I love that it's not afraid to turn it up to 11, like, almost immediately. Yeah, it's so fun, and it's got all the elements of an Old West. It's kind of like, what if Clint Eastwood played Thor? I would watch that. I would sure. I would very watch that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Uh, so those are the issues we're going to be talking about here. Normally, we're going to be covering more. For now, it's just these two um, fill-ins. But we do have some categories that we are going to pioneer right here. Because you can't just talk about comics. You have to talk about what specifically is great in them. Absolutely. 
Uh, so we have a few, and then we have one we're going to ask you, the listeners, about. Let's start out with what I like to call Hell's Haberdashery, because in Walter Simonson's run, Walter Simonson's art is very inspired by the art of Jack Kirby, and as any Kirby or Simonson fans know, there's uh, a lot of awesome headgear going on in uh, either of those artists' work. Yeah, and in these, there's actually not a lot of hats in it. In in 356, there's basically just Thor and, like, one random extra with a baseball cap. And, you know, that's not all that exciting. Now, 370's got a lot of cowboys, and so they're all wearing hats. But I gotta say, for me, as much as I like the tall derby worn by the guy that uh, throws Sundance out of the bar at the beginning, the cowboy hats worn by all of the disguised trolls, by all of Loki's cowboy soldiers that managed to even though they're indoors sometimes and outdoors other times to always shadow their eyes, leaving only their long mustaches sticking out. I got to give that the uh, Hell's Haberdashery Award for this pair of issues. I would love one of those. I wouldn't have to wear sunglasses at all, which is shade my eyes all the time. It would be very nice. Well, you know, magic cowboy hats equal good SPF coverage. And as guardians are all about the anti-aging, they're not just going to rely on their apples. That's right. And I mean, that was, you know, it's such a big theme of this issue. So it's totally consistent. So I feel like this is the right choice. So you should totally answer the next one. We also have the Best Sound Effect Award, which hopefully by episode one, we'll have a better name for that. But like I said, you're all seeing how the sausage gets made. We are unformed. We are but clay this episode. Zero episode. Uh, Also, since this isn't the Simonson run, you know, Walter Simonson's work is really notable for these amazing, you know, sound effects. But there are still some great ones in here in 370 when the old cowboy becomes Thor. There's the scoom. But there are a lot of good, a surprising amount of good sound effects in in 356. We've got the crunch when Hercules takes out that Volkswagen. But I think my personal favorite are actually the silly bonks when Hercules is hit in the head. There's a bonk when he gets hit by Mjolnir and again by a Frisbee. Like apparently that's Hercules' lot in life to get bonked on the head. (laughs) (laughs) A mighty bonk it is (laughs) all right our third category maybe my personal favorite it's the most metal moment so my runner-up has got to be that panel that i mentioned before with loki and the trolls riding the train because so much of metal is mashing up a bunch of stuff that should never really go together and making it awesome and that's what that is but I gotta say, I think I'm gonna go for that one page from number 356, where we see Hercules flying through the air, having been punched by Thor's mighty retaliatory blow, being punched in New Jersey, because when you think about it, the reason Hercules is describing it this way is to make a little kid feel better about life. And isn't compassion the most metal thing of all? I think you're right. That's an excellent choice. And it's just so much fun. It's probably the biggest panel, or the biggest shot of, of Hercules, and it's just epic. Yeah, and you got to have epic in your metal, no matter what direction that epic goes. Now, for the fourth one, Elizabeth, how about you uh, tell everybody where we are with that? We don't really have one, so we thought we would call upon you, our highly intelligent, attractive donors, to give us some ideas. So you can email us at thelightninginthestorm at gmail.com with your suggestions. Yes, please do. And plus, we'd also just love to hear from you or talk about Thor or whatever. It's going to be great. Uh, So that is what we have for you. Again, donors, patrons, thank you so much for helping us fund this show. Like, um, I mean, we probably would have done it anyway, to be honest, but we would have been horribly, horribly in debt. And then maybe we wouldn't finish it because we'd be, I don't know, too busy, like bonking Hercules on the head on the streets for money or cheating at cards and getting kicked out of bars or something like that. So we really appreciate it. You're amazing. And like this episode, really the whole show, all of this is for you. Thank you. We've been so excited. I have the Indiegogo app on my phone, and every time we've got closer, we've been texting back and forth, being like, yay! So when we got the text, 
last night that we were 100% funded. We, we were just super excited. Yes, indeed. In the meantime, we will see you when our first episode actually launches. Next time, Walter Simonson takes over on the Mighty Thor, and nothing will ever be the same. Beta Ray Bill, the sorrow of Lady Sif, a mighty weapon forged. This has been, and shall ever be, The, the Lightning, Lightning and, and the, the Storm! The Lightning and the Storm is produced by Kyle Yount, host of the Godzilla podcast, KaijuCast. In Portland, Oregon, of Midgard, Realm of Mortals. Check us out at thelightningandthestorm.com. And if you'd like to help support our ad-free show and get some cool stuff, click the donate link while you're there. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Tumblr. And rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play so more people can find us. We'll be back next week. Until then, fight on, brave warriors, for valor, for glory, for Asgard! For Asgard!